0: Confronted by the Resurrection Part 6 from John Chapter 21 verses 18 to 25. This morning we arrive at the last of our messages in this glorious Gospel of John. It's been a long series and uh, on and off just to let you know uh, that you've you've just joined our series in the the later end, that we have been in in Liverpool Baptist, we have been in this series on and off since April 2018, but hopefully, like me, you have found it enlightening, uplifting, challenging, encouraging, as we have grown in our understanding of who Jesus really is. Now last week we spoke on how Jesus, after his resurrection, had to deal with some unresolved Issues with Peter, and uh, most of the the last chapter, chapter 21 of John, uh, deals with that. And just as Peter had denied him three times, Jesus would ask him if he loved him three times. And based upon his affirmation, Jesus would then commission him to the task of feeding his sheep three times as well. Now, in the the following verses, he will discover what price he would have to pay in serving Jesus. But as he does so, as he serves Jesus, he needs to watch out for a very common temptation that we're going to get to. So our first heading this morning, subheading this morning, is from verses 18 to 19. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Very truly I tell you. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Notice how Jesus goes on to contrast Three elements in his challenge to Peter. Firstly, his youth, his youth with the inevitable reality of becoming old. Secondly, once upon a time he had the ability to dress himself up. And this is contrasted with, later on, he's saying, someone else will have to dress you up. And thirdly, in the, in the past, he could choose to go wherever he wished. That's the freedom he had. And now he will be taken where he does not want to go. Now, I think we all understand the, the natural course that life takes us from birth to childhood to youth, adulthood, and then the senior years and eventual glory for the believer, the freedom that we yearn for in childhood lasts only a very brief period in our youth. in adulthood, we have responsibilities, we are burdened with commitments and other other things and of course, then we yearn for for the freedom. In retirement that they, they promise us in the ads about all, they make all these promises about enjoying retirement. But just as they are starting to come true, our health starts to give way. And that is why if all our plans and dreams are, are anchored in this life, they will prove to be hollow and you will end up bitterly disappointed. Now back to Peter and where he was with Jesus. The previous night Peter had exercised his freedom when he decided to go fishing. Because he wanted to. The resurrected Jesus is reminding and confronting Peter with a harsh reality. Discipleship, you see, will inevitably entail a narrowing of the choices that will now be available to him. A single-minded focus on loving Jesus as your Lord means that the other competing lords, little lords, including yourself, because we all think that we are Lord of our lives, they are now off the table following, you see, For the believer, following the narrow road that leads to the narrow gate implies a loss of certain earthly things. And one of the harshest lessons that life teaches us is the gradual surrender of those freedoms and choices, whether we want to or not. The freedoms you thought you would once had were an illusion anyway, for the disciple. However, this is, of course, par for the cause. This is condition upon the disciple being obedient to his calling, which for Peter it would be feeding the Lord's sheep. And, again, he was called to feed the sheep, not entertain the goats. And feeding the sheep would not be easy, because I think in the... Uh, in the, in the natural sheep, the, the physical sheep out there, they, they don't bite. But the type of sheep that uh, Peter was called to lead, they bite. But here, Jesus is quite clearly prophesying to Peter and telling him exactly how it's going to be. Most of us might have asked, while you are at it, Lord, please tell me more. Tell me more about the future. Tell me more about my life, please. How did it happen? I actually find it remarkable that Jesus skips the rest of Peter's life, including his many achievements. He does not mention the fact that Peter will be preaching to, in just a few weeks, he'll be preaching to 3,000 and they will be converted. Jesus does not mention the trip to Cornelius' house. He does not tell him that he will be eventually writing two letters that bear his name and not even mention that 1,500 years later there will be a basilica in Rome with his name on it. No, we bypass all of that. Jesus goes straight to Peter's death. Now, is that for a motivational leadership speech for you, right? Does that get you going? This is how you're going to die, mate. This is what Matthew Jesus said in Matthew 16:25. Matthew 16:25 Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. For Peter, following Jesus would involve more than preaching and teaching. He would be challenged in his own preconceived ideas as, as, as a Jew to accept the Gentiles now, accept the Gentiles into the kingdom. Ultimately, his calling would involve pain, privation, death. And this was historically um, fulfilled some 30 years later went um, 30 years after Jesus spoke these words because by the time that John wrote his gospel what John is writing here had already happened because uh Eusebius uh one of the church historians actually tells us that when Peter went to Rome at the close of his life he was imprisoned his hands were bound and he was led out to the place of execution. And there, Peter was crucified. At his own request, at Peter's own request, he was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to share the manner of death of Jesus. And although he failed in the past, in the end he will glorify God in his death just as Jesus said he would. Peter the rock finally lived up to his given name. Anyone who yields himself to serve the Lord must honestly confront this matter of of death. For some it might mean the death of their careers, for others their reputation, and for many it has meant death to their very lives. Let me tell you a story. Uh, this is the life of Adoniram Judson, who, uh, was the great missionary to Burma. Uh, today that country is called Myanmar. Even though his original intention when he left for the mission field was to go to India. Now, before he left, he, um, he met a lady called Anne Hasseltine. And, uh, After about a month, things used to go pretty quick in those days, after about a month, Adoniram wrote a letter asking her father for her hand in marriage. And here is the letter letter that Adoniram Judson wrote to Anne's father. This is the letter. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring. To see her no more in this world whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution and perhaps a violent death. He went on. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Saviour from heathen saved? through her means, from internal woe and despair. End of letter. Quite a letter, isn't it? I wonder how you would have reacted if uh, somebody wrote that to you, asking for your daughter's hand in marriage. And these words proved to be indeed quite prophetic. Anne had to care for her husband, While he was sick in jail in Burma. She translated the book of Daniel and Jonah into Burmese. And she was the first one to translate the Gospel of Matthew into, in the early 1800s, into the Thai language. She miscarried once and lost two infants before their first birthday. And then she died from smallpox in Burma at the age of 36. Quite a life, isn't it? Quite a life. And like her, and like Adonai, many, many of our brothers and sisters have dedicated their lives to take the gospel. Not caring about themselves, but only caring for the kingdom. Now in verses 20 to 23, keep looking at Jesus. Keep looking at Jesus. We start in verse 20. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. And this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? Now when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And because of this, the, the rumour spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus didn't say that he would not die. He only said, if I wanted to, to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? So here we are. Just as we're about to congratulate Peter on his new commitment and Apparent acceptance of his eventual fate to die a martyr's death. Congratulations, Peter, we're about to say. But then the old Peter bubbles up to the surface yet again. Somehow, Peter had this uncanny ability to, to wreck a perfect moment. Um... We all recall Jesus' question and and Peter's marvellous declaration when he answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. That's from Matthew 16. And then a couple of verses later when Jesus told them of his impending sacrifice and death. In verses 22 to 23, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. Now just think about it. You a me, mortal, rebuking Jesus. God, wow. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Again, this is, this is such a human story, isn't it? I mean, it serves as such a strong warning to us. There's Peter and Jesus walking down the beach. And and he looks over his shoulder and, and there's John following behind. The rest of the disciples stay back, probably just warming around the fire. And and, and and he begins to compare himself with John saying, Lord, all right, I'm gonna die. But 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 what about him? John, you see, who wrote this gospel, he's going to live a ripe old age. And John is going to write. Write very well, mind you. He's going to write many books. The, the Gospel, his, his letters, and then the, the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Well, you might be thinking, well, poor Peter, lucky John. I mean, he got to live this long life full of days on this island in the Mediterranean. How bad can that be? Who wouldn't want that? But you see, as the last of the original, of the original twelve, he would see his own brother James cut down in cold blood by Herod at the start of the persecution. He would see all the, his colleagues, all the other apostles die the martyr's death. He would live as an old man exiled on the island of Patmos soon enough he would he would need to start addressing a a, a, a new heresy that was arising amongst the, the the these Christians a new generation of Christians and there's heresy again much like heresy arises in our days over and over again you have guys like Joel Austin writing a bestseller called your best life now still a bestseller mind you John might say here yeah, let me describe what our best lives our best lives now look like for us. And just as Peter starts to compare destinies, Jesus says If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You you must follow me. And twice he tells Peter to To follow him. Literally to, to keep following him. To keep following Jesus. Don't meddle into the lives of other believers, Peter. Don't start, don't start comparing paths. You know, their path is, uh, is downhill and, and, and smooth and all flat and yours is uphill. Don't start comparing crosses that yours is heavier than somebody else's. I'm the boss, remember. I'm the boss. You do what I tell you. We must all be aware of the temptation to take our eyes off the Lord. All of us. Stop looking over your shoulder to see who else is following. That is why it says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It says, those famous words, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That's the first point, marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. In other words, concentrate on your own race that is marked out for you. You follow in your own track, fixing your eyes on Jesus, not on other runners, not on their tracks. How Jesus handles the others, how he works in their lives, is his business. It is not yours. Why? Because when we look at others, we tend to compare ourselves with them, don't we? Frankly, we could call that a loser's game because you will lose your joy, your contentment when you start comparing. Don't worry. There are many people around you who will nudge you to compare yourself and your ministry with others as well. Fact is, there is always going to be somebody doing things better than you. I can guarantee you that one. Or at the other extreme, you can become conceited by looking down at other people and, and display your pride. Either way, you lose, whether it's looking up or looking down. You become arrogant or you become depressed. That is not how it's going to be. Not in God's kingdom. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. Verses 24 to 25, it's all about Jesus. Verse 24 says, This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that could be written. Now John has made similar statements in other places. In other words, John wrote this book for the express purpose that you put your trust in Jesus as the son of God that he is in fact the promised Messiah it is not merely an intellectual recognition of historical facts but personal acceptance and commitment to the truths which are here proclaimed in his own letter Peter would write in verses in, uh, in 2 Peter one 16. 2 Peter one sixteen. this is what he wrote he said for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty Peter is saying I was there we were there this is the reason why we wrote this stuff we didn't make it up now John chose his material very, very selectively, as he's telling us here. He only chose seven miracles in the first half of the book as signs of who Jesus is. And the final confirmation of his identity being, of course, the greatest miracle of all, and that was his resurrection from the dead. And this is where John closes his account of the life of Jesus. John could have told us many other things which Jesus did which are not included in this gospel because there is so much you can say about the greatest life that ever lived. But in God's grace, we have to give thanks to God that we have all that we need right here. We have all that we need. Now, there's, there's an old hymn that we want to close up with this and with this we, we close not just uh, this this passage, but this chapter and the whole series in the Gospel of John. It's about the fact that God's love, there is so much that we can't write about it. That there aren't enough books, There aren't. there isn't enough material that you could fill when you're trying to describe the love of God and all that he has done. And these are the words. He says, Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretch from sky to sky. Marvellous words describing for us the love of God. So thank you for being with us through this series, and thank you for indeed appreciating once more and just giving thanks to God and eternal praise to him for the wonder of his revelation to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. May we continue to forever sing his praises, both here and into eternity. God bless.